Kaka, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And on today's show, I've got Dr. Rob Bell. Rob is a certified consultant of the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. He is a PGA Tour credential as a sports psychology consultant and as coach winners on the PGA nationwide and mini tours and caddied on tour. He is the author of five sports psychology books. Furthermore, he works with with Indy 11 and the University of Notre Dame. His passion is helping others become the best at getting better. We know that we are all getting ready for that hinge moment, the one person, event or moment that will make all the difference in our lives. We just don't know when that is coming. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Coach. Appreciate it, man. So before we delve into today's uh, topic, Rob, can you talk to us about how you've, obviously that journey from humble beginnings to where you wanted to become a sports psychologist? Sure. Um, Well, again, I mean, I played sports my entire life, every sport. I mean, I excelled probably in soccer and baseball. And I was just, uh, I was a real streaky player and no one could really ever help me out. So, I mean, if I was, if I was playing well, things were great, but if I was playing bad, if I was off, I was just horrible. So there was no middle ground and no one could ever help me out. And then when I start playing bad, I would just start thinking too much. I would just get stuck inside my own head and no one could ever help me out. And then, uh, so when I went to college, an interesting thing happened was, um, there was these Reebok commercials called uh, uh, Dan and Dave commercials on who's going to win the gold medal uh, for the U.S. in decathlon. And, and Reebok, I mean, it was a great, great idea by Reebok because nobody pays attention to decathlon. Well, it was either going to be Dave Johnson or Dan O'Brien. And I remember following this, uh, these ads. And, you know, before they went to the Olympics, we had this little formality called uh, Olympic Trials. And Dan O'Brien was on world record pace, uh, obviously going to make the team, but I mean, he was like, who's going to win gold medal? He's on world record pace in Olympic trials. It comes up against the pole vault and misses three times. And he goes from first to last, doesn't make the team. Reebok pulls the commercials. And I just remember, I was like, wow, like, how does that happen? Like, I don't understand. And I cut that article out in the, in the Washington post that day. And then I started following his career and he started seeing somebody that helped him out with his routine with, uh, you know, refocusing. And I was like, wow, like there's a job for that. Like, that's what I want to do. And so at that moment, like that was a hinge moment for me. That was when I, when I knew, look, sports psychology is a route I want to go in. And then when I got hurt in college, um, I took that psychology class. I mean, that was, that was it. And then Dan O'Brien went on to, to win the gold medal four years later. And uh, it's funny because I ran into him. Like I still have that, that save, that article, and uh, showed it to him. He thought he, he got a kick out of it. It was pretty funny. But that's, that's how I got into it, man. And then, you know, it was, it was absolutely my passion from every morning when I wake up to when I go to sleep. Um, it's never left. It's, it's been a blessing, man, because I just live out my passion. But I think you raise a good one there, Rob, in terms of what do you think it's – the mindset that they, they, those individuals have, be it to do the decathlon or say from the women's perspective, the haptathlon, mm-hmm. what, 
possesses them and also the obviously the mental fortitude that goes with it to want to put their body through kind of those tough times and obviously they're doing those events over two days mm-hmm. what what do you think is that, that, that their psyche to wanting to do that that's a great question i mean to be spot on with it i'm not quite sure i mean that's um i mean i just think I just think like with the best competitors, there, there is that passion. There is that part that they just love doing what they do. Um, and, and, you know, from that, I think their, their desire to compete and their desire, like you said at the beginning, to be the best at getting better. Like how good can they become? I think they love challenging themselves. That's, that's what I see, I think, with, with all athletes is they love that challenge. I definitely agree with that. It's, it's, it's push. I think somebody raised a good a uh, question to me, oof, I think it was last week, but it's come up this week in terms of reaching for, 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 for at perfection. It's like, well, it's impossible because if you want to get to, I don't know, say the coin, coin the term 100%, well, be it life or sport, that bar is going to move. So you can never actually attain perfection. Right. Your best, your uh you know, the, the better you get, the, the, your best increases. So yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why I always say like, you know, we're just trying to focus on the process. We're just trying to be better today than what we were yesterday. How do we get to, to be the best at getting better? I just like saying that one because well, to be the best at getting better is all process focus. It's all, can we be better? Can we be better today than what we were, you know, this morning, what we were yesterday? But do you think in society we over, um, what's the word I want, um, emphasize on, say, the results? For sure, yeah. Oh, no question. I think that's where, you know, ultimately the mental game goes wrong is when we start focusing on the outcome one way or another. You know, what if or, um, you know, and, and just thinking about the future. And when we start focusing on results, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fear in there. There's a lot of, I mean, cause we don't know. And um, if we can always just get back to the process, one possession at a time, one shot at a time, that's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, you know, now the sexy term is mindfulness, you know, and that's fine, but it's, it's just being in the moment. I mean, it's just, it's just focusing on the task at hand and, you know, not, not, uh, not playing out the, you know, the what if game. But we talked about a good one off air about obviously with uh, young kids nowadays mm-hmm. not being able to not overcome adversity, but not to being able to best to deal with it. And we we were kind of saying, well, shouldn't they look at obviously with psychology, we look at more so developing that skill at say high school level, maybe early twenties. But should we not look to give the the kids the skills to implement it? I don't know, in elementary school, straight, straight off the bat. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about that, I mean, I just think it's a, it's a cultural issue. I mean, I think we've got to coach the coaches on that piece, you know, because when we, and it depends on the age, right. But it's like, at what age do we really start emphasizing, um, you know, winning and losing? When does that become more important than getting better? When, when does that become more important? And at the youth level, um, look, Look, winning's great, man. I mean, we love to win, and it's great, and that should be the goal. 
but are we getting better in the process or are we sacrificing our development just for this win? And um, that's where I look at, look, we got to coach the coaches a lot of times on these mental skills to one possession at a time. All right, we lost. What did we learn from it? Um, how, how are we setting our goals? How do we build confidence? I mean, you run into a lot of athletes that just don't have confidence and boy, they're, they're fantastic athletes. It just blows my mind a lot of times. Like, well, you, you're really good. Why wouldn't you be confident? Well, I mean, that's because it's, they've always had that doubt that's been put in their head, you know, from when they were young. And um, yeah, I think a lot of those skills can really be implemented, you know, when kids are young. And Rob, when you say confidence, do you mean in a sporting context or outside of that sporting um, theater and, and terms like that? Yeah, I mean, well, that's a good part. It's uh, probably a little bit of both, but even in the sporting context, for sure. But you would, you would think, and I'll use the example as me now, I'm very much, well, I'm a little bit more extroverted now than, than say I was say, five years ago. But if I was in my sporting element, you would you would say, well, James, you're not introverted one bit. It's like, well, you're confident, you are well-spoken, uh, you, you kind of have all the tools that you need to, be, to succeed in sport. But it's like, well, I'm in my element. I'm, I'm in my, so to speak, uh, comfort zone. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, you know, I don't dispute it. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, the confidence outside of sport, a lot of times it's, it, I think it just comes on, you know, our life experience and do we have experience outside of sport as well? The only thing we know is just the one thing. Um, then, then that's, that's definitely going to be the area that we're confident in more so outside of sport. But to kind of come back to your point, Rob, with saying people are not confident even in that sporting element, yeah. is it coming back? to the coaching giving them and you could say berating them to some extent with negative feedback negative commenting all the time well not necessarily I I think maybe that's part of it but I think it's just getting back to it's just results focus you know I'm only as good as my last game where you know we can look at the process may have been great like you took three shots they were all on goal right none of them scored okay well what do you control here and a lot of times then what's been conditioned is since they've been a young age, if you don't score, then it obviously was a bad game. That's not true. And that's the part where the coaches have really have to emphasize process over product. You know, if we can emphasize process over product, then, then I think that, you know, they allow themselves a little bit more wiggle room on the bad games. They kind of looked at, Hey, what did they like? what did they do well? Or what did they learn and what's in their control? And if we just become all about winning and losing, all about did I score or not, uh, man, that's – well, then we are only as good as our last performance, and then the confidence is going to be that that roller coaster, you know, really up and really down. But you also raise a good point there. It's, if it's all about scoring, if you're looking at, say, positional gameplay, well, defenders are going to go be out of position as well, thinking, well, oh, if I don't have a good – well, I don't have a good game, I've got to go – the other side of the field to score and obviously you don't put the ball in there. You're now out of position and the other team, I won't say in all likelihood, but there is a strong chance you have a goal scored against you and you could be berated for that. For that. Well, why weren't you in your position? Yeah. Yeah. I was obviously thinking about strikers and attacking middies. Yeah. But yeah. Same thing, man. Confidence, confidence, right? 
Well, you could say in all modern day sport now, it's it's as if nobody wants to play defense. It's you'd uh, be it with the if you use soccer as probably an example with the wing backs. Generally, when the opposition scores, they're out of position. You know, I mean, that's that's so accurate, man. I'm not going to deny that. I mean, it's so true. You know, big part. But do do you think it it comes back to that onus of the um, the result over the process at, in early days, or do you think it comes back to the individual maybe wanting to showcase? Oh, this is what I what other attributes I can bring to the team more so than. Yeah, I think so. I think it's exactly it. You know, not um, you know because defense should should all get rewarded and all should be emphasized as the clean sheet, right? Like that, that should be the main thing. It shouldn't be focused on anything else other than that. And if we get in the habit of, you know, putting the emphasis on other things, then, then it takes away from the most important thing. That's just a clean sheet, man. Well, that good quote, it goes back to it. Defense wins championships. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's good. It's trying to, I'd say, Maybe modern sports have somewhat go gone against that for maybe entertainment purposes, but it's like, well, be it whatever sport you're playing at, if you can, can keep keep the opposition down to less. You don't need to have to score as many points. No, and and again, being a being a great defender is a different mindset, I think, than than offense as well. You know, um, I mean, a great defender. I mean, I again, being a defender myself, I always love it. I mean, it's. The, only, the one thing I know is like great defenders never ask, Hey, was that my man? Or is that, was that my ball? They never ask that stuff. They great defenders are just focused on, um, you know, as a unit and just finding a way, just absolutely finding a way. And I think that the defensive mindset is just, it's just more gritty. You know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of fanfare with it and they take pride in that stuff. Would you say it comes down to probably good communication as well? Because you see with a lot of defences, when things go wrong, it's generally that's what, number one root cause. Like, well, they're not communicating. Uh, that sixes and sevens, uh, what would be, ta- not tactically, but it, within their shape to keep a, a striker on side and things like that. So be, would you say it would come back to more so that than, say, mental fortitude? The communication piece? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Why I tie it into mental fortitude is because, you know, when we are confident, we communicate a lot more. You know, we're not afraid to say something. Um, you know, we're, we're able, I think, to emphasize our leadership qualities I think we all have. I think if we lose confidence in ourselves a little bit, we'll get real tight-lipped, you know, and we're not going to be talking as much. Um, we're stuck on that last play, you know. And instead of really just focused on the the next play, um, so that's the part that I see that happens a lot. But 100 percent with you, man. The communication breaks down for sure. But why? But you would think when somebody is quite outspoken and has that leadership role, yeah. Why would they intern? Well, not internalize, but kind of go within themselves and not be that un- outspoken person they normally are when they are higher in confidence. Um, well, because I think with confidence and we just kind of look when we're, when we're not, when we are confident, I think it's just a feeling. I just think we feel confident. 
When we're not confident, I think it just turns into thoughts and we just start thinking a whole lot more. We start thinking a whole lot more. Now we're a little bit behind. Um, now we're trying just not to mess up. Now, we're, again, we're, we're not focused on the exact right thing. We're not focused on the right thing. Then the communication, I think, just breaks down. Well, could, could you not say your thinking element of a game should be done in practice and you should, in a game, not go in there at webs and flows of it, but kind of use the muscle memory that you've learned, be it over years and years of practice, mm-hmm. and kind of implement more than so than... Because if you're, if you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, I should do this, I should do that, I, I need to do that, you're overcomplicating things at times and, and you you're, could put yourself in a sticky predicament because if you're overcomplicating things, well, whose man is that? And you're gonna, you could possibly have somebody run behind you. It's like, well, that, technically that was my man behind me and because I'm probably trying to multitask too much i'm not doing the basics right absolutely but what could you do to maybe overcome something like that you know i mean the the basis of it is really just getting back to obviously our preparation is going to be big um is not dwelling on mistakes not worrying about mistakes and focusing on the next play and just finding a way you know, it really is. It's so what next play. Uh, and that, that's the mentality you've got to get. Um, anything else, you know, we're stuck inside our own head, start thinking too much. But it's quite difficult in terms of, say, a team sport because you could have it, if we go to the higher uh, echelons of sports, see, mm-hmm. like professional leagues and whatnot, you could have the, your, your supporting cast on your back, say other players, management, the crowd. So it's not, the easiest thing to probably overcome or okay I've made a mistake now it's and then from you know, our, I mean, from what our, is though what is easier said than done though you know I mean of course it's harder said than done I mean what is it it's it's but that's the part that I think we work on and then it, then it's all focused on results like we said right I mean then it's focused on the crowd uh, uh contracts what people think all that stuff and it's just all noise it's absolutely all noise when when our mental game boils down to finding a way and just this play is the only thing that matters. And that's the part. If we haven't been trained in the process, if we are focused on results, confidence is going to ebb and flow. Confidence is going to ebb and flow. But, Rob, getting your opinion on this, this question now, okay. with the likes of social media now, you could look at it from a, a sporting perspective. Is If you've played badly, it's very much in your face. Uh, this person hasn't done this, 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 this is why they lost. But could, and do you think maybe that should be taught to kids coming up? Okay, this is, well, you could say it's a form of criticism, but look at it as um, it more of a positive light with it being, um, what's the word I want to use? Um, Kind of using it, to reflect upon it in a good way. Okay, I think if we use the UK and the US media as the example, it's probably the worst press you can have in the world. It does, they'll big you up once you do something bad. Okay, let's, let's take the rug from under you and say yeah. we berate you in that way. I mean, the one, the one thing I'll say is um, 
and this was a Reggie Jackson quote, he said, they don't boo nobodies. They don't boo nobodies. So if they're talking about you, you're a somebody. If they're not talking about you at all, it means you haven't done anything to be, you know, worth talking about. So no matter who they're talking about, like, um, I don't understand, like, it's always not the best, but it's really just training ourselves on who really matters in our life, what is important and what isn't important. But I always love that one because they don't boo nobody's. If they're talking about you, then, then you're important. Well, a good, another good example of that probably within the media would be probably LeBron James. He, he's yeah, any of the best. He's not one to push his name. It doesn't matter if he's good, bad, or indifferent. Okay, if you want to talk about me, that's fine. Yeah, you know, and when it comes to media, I mean, they're all about the drama. They're trying to create drama. You know, oh my goodness, you know, LeBron James said this about his teammate. Did he? Did he really? Or you know, is that just they're just trying to create stuff? You know, and there's good drama when it comes to sport, and then there's bad drama when it comes to sport. And the media just tries to, then they just try to get on anything. Beautiful part about media is, media will get you focused. Will get you focused on results because that's the only thing that matters when it comes to media. If you, the interesting thing is if you watch any um, – it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, we're going to watch Premier League, right? Right when Premier League ends, can they do it again? I mean, it'll be right after they win the championship, right after they are holding up the, the Super Bowl trophy. They're going to ask them at the very end, do you think they can repeat? They already got them focused on the next season. And it doesn't matter what the sport is. That's what the media's job is, to get them focused on next season. And, uh, and that's the part I just find humorous when it comes to it. It's like, wow, they just, they just won. Like, you want to focus, can they repeat? But then I, I think, Rob, yeah. in terms of a, a, the, the athlete's psyche, it's probably a little bit similar because you don't dwell on what's happened. You kind of say, well, this is the end of the championship. Maybe not to that extreme of straight away, but you do move to the next goal, be it, I don't know, Europeans, World Championship, whatever it may be. And you don't look back because I get asked from time to time, well, what was this championship like? And so, and so on. It's like, well, once it's time to move on to the next one, it's a bit hazy in terms of what it, what it was actually right. like. Right. And then all, all just getting back to the process. All getting back to the process, you know. Well, it's trying to find those little things that those little percentages gain, gains where you can improve be it looking at, okay, I did this well. How can I do it better? What did I not do? What did I do not quite well? Where can I go back to possibly the basics and, and fine-tune it in practice to make it a strength? And it's kind of as, as nitty-gritty as that. And it's as simple as that. You're trying to find those minute details to get yourself yeah. the, the, ped, the, well, the rostrum, the pedestal and, and whatnot. You know, interesting thing about sports is like, you know, especially with the, you know those that have won championships, they we always remember the losses more than we remember the wins. Always remember the losses, and in some ways, I think that's that's the sad part about sport is you know, we remember those losses more than we remember how good the wins are. But on the same token, like I always think that the best are really driven by that hate to lose mentality more than they love to win. You know, and, and that's the uh, that's the insidious part sometimes about sport is how long do we enjoy that one? Um, that's why, again, it's getting back, man. How much do we love just showing up and just trying to get better at what we're doing? Because that's the, that's the real joy. But does that not come back to people being 
very much one-dimensional sport-wise nowadays and very much being taught to, you wouldn't even call it a skill, no, this is how you're going to do it, this is the right way, this is the only way, and they become very much robotic. Um... I'm I'm not I'm not really sure. I, I don't I don't know. No, I don't know the answer, man. I'll admit it. I'm not sure. But then That's you the should be humble both ways. You should roll with the punches. Uh, you should be happy when you win. Um, it's probably a good one in terms of well, with the NFL season starting. Yeah, and I, and I think they are. I think they are. But a lot of times I'll hear uh, relief. That was that was a relief that we won because it gets built up so much. You know. And yeah, I think there is joy. I just think those that make it, those that they will, the losses hurt more than the wins feel good. But do you think that's because it's been ingrained to people that it's, we need to look at the negative side of things more so than the positives? Um, again, man, I don't know. Um, I, you know, why does losing hurt worse than winning feels good? Um, because in some ways, when we are confident, we expect to win, we expect that outcome to happen. And then when it doesn't, it's a real shock to our system a whole lot. Like we actually feel numb and, and we'll go through no matter what. I mean, at the end of the season, like all athletes, I think, I mean, they'll go through a little bit of that depression, you know, because it's over. Whether we won or we lost, um, coaches go through that a lot, man. And We've just got to get back to the next season, you know, because uh, they are so ingrained in the process about what they do. Um, there's a real interesting dynamic when it comes to that piece. Oh, you've got to be careful in some essences of getting it straight back into the next season in terms of burnout and things like that and what that can bring. You know, and, and that's the part where when we have perspective and, and our identity isn't wrapped up in a sport, that's that's the real important piece, you know, the perspective about, uh, you know, when athletes get injured and then they come back and then they appreciate those things a whole lot more than what they did before. Cause we just, we just take things for granted, you know, um, it's just how our mind works. And then, um, but I think, you know, we can have our identity outside of sport is, is a healthy thing. But then you were talking off air about kids nowadays are becoming, what would be the word you used? <sighs> not brainwashed, but kind of led down this path, or you are, you are going to succeed to become a professional athlete. But do you think it's kind of uh, could put people in a downward spiral because it's like, well, I, my mother told me, my father told me this, my coach said I'm going to achieve this, and they can't deal with adversity because I'll, somebody else might say, well, you, yeah, you've been told you're good at this when you're younger, but compared to somebody to the rest of your peers now right i mean that's why i don't think that's a good thing you know because then it's all focused on results and um it's it's just about at a young age it's just about enjoying the sport and getting all the benefits out of sport that it provides by itself not what we're going to get out of it but you know who can we help and how can we how can we see how good we can become but isn't it not a little bit of a fine balance between the competitive competitive element and mm-hmm. that of participation? And at times it's going to be a little bit of a gray area because 
you could talk about um, with with the participation side of things. It's probably got to an epidemic because people are, oh, what's the word that, that you want to use nowadays? But they kind of, oh, what's the word? I can't think of the words at hand, but they think everything. No, I come to them easily, but I deserve this because I got a trophy when I was a participant. The entitlement? Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the uh, what was the angle? I, I kind of missed the question. It was it, would it be in a gray area between participation and and comp- comp- competitive? Shouldn't we eye on the caution of going more towards participation with that in mind? You know, um, one way or another, I mean, the cream always rises to the top. You know. There's some people, I, I think, I think sport has such a great, uh, life building character building traits inside of it, but sport doesn't build character by itself. Like it reveals the character. The coaches that are involved have such an impact on these people's lives that, you know, we can see the individuals at a youth level that, that are going to be playing next level stuff. And we can see those that, you know what, they're just not. Um, and how important it is, I think, for a coach to reach both those athletes just at a different level um, and just to allow themselves that freedom and that space that no matter where they are, that they just keep challenging themselves to see how good that we can get today. And that's the part that sport and those characteristics – and those life skills last way beyond when all sport is going to be over. Because if the whole emphasis is on next level and playing the next level and what can sport give me and stuff like that, at the end of the day, it's really pretty empty unless we're going to have that, that coach that helps us learn those skills that are going to last way beyond when sport is over. Well, I think I've taught a good lesson by sport. It's like, well, and this is, I think, about 15, 16 years old. Obviously, like you say, it's not going to be, it's not going to be there forever. So, what are you going to put in place to be, obviously, be your next career, whatever it may be, to put in place that you are set up, I will say, for life. And I was taught very much. Well, sport can be gone in an instant, be it injury, um, being dropped from a team, you name it. And it's obviously looking to focus on your education, vocation, whatever it would be. So you are set up on, wow, in all essence, in a different pathway than you maybe have thought. So it's, you could coin it as not putting all your eggs in one basket. I know some people would argue in terms of, say, if we look at the model of, say, high school kids in basketball, uh, bypassing the NCAA if they had the choice to do so for the betterment of their family. That one argument you could say, well, yes, you do have a leg to stand on because if they got injured in the pro ranks, they've got a guaranteed contract. But if they get hurt in, in college ranks, they're gone. They've also lost their academic, uh, not academic, their, their athletic scholarship. So now no longer a university student. So it's very much... 
a difficult one to say, well, yeah, you should focus on your academics, but you can go do that later life. So it's a difficult, it's a fine balance. It's, I would say probably from personal experience, probably do them both. Yeah, they, and, and, and when it comes to that, though, I mean, we're talking about 0.001%, you know, that, that can bypass that and go to professional leagues. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just a tough non sequitur just because I mean, there's just so few people when it comes to that pool, you know. But I think we touched upon a good point off air about uh, you, you saying parents are very much, I won't say pushy, but either the coach, the parent, or the child have that disillusion. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make it to the pro ranks. And you, right. you talk about that, that percentage is so low. Should they maybe not reflect and say, well, what else could I do? Be it, you could be, I don't know, sports psychologist, but work not as the athlete, but say the support staff and right. still get up to those high, high heights of sport. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's where it's getting back to the love of the sport. You know, I mean, there was a, the stat out now is, and then again, here in the U.S., 34% of parents think their kids can play at the professional level, 34%. And, you know, I just kind of get back to this. I'm like, if parents knew what it took to be a professional athlete, I don't think any of them would sign up. I really don't because I don't think they understand how much work goes into that at every single level and how much sacrifice and how, like you said, how fleeting it can be. I mean, they're just one injury away. They just see the Rafa Nadal's. They see the Roger Federer's. They don't see the person that's ranked 125th in the world, you know, who no one hears of, you know, but man, they're, they're at home three weeks out of the year. I mean, they're traveling um, and all the stuff that goes into that. And then just on the other point, I mean, with 34%, somebody's telling them that. They're not just coming up with that on their, their mind, you know. But we really have no idea, you know, having – I mean, being able to see professional athletes up front, we really have no idea about how good that every single one of them are at the best level. You know, and then you and I see it because we know what that level is, but the general public I mean, has no clue. I mean, they just think, like, it's a choice whether to be a pro athlete or not. And you know what? It's there's a whole lot more that goes in with that. And I've known great, I've known fantastic athletes that had all the skills, everything with it, but they hated travel. Well, you can't have both, man. You know, <laughs> I mean, they just they love to be at home, and, and God bless them, it's awesome. But they didn't like travel. It's not going to work. You know. Oh, I'm on the flip side of that. I love traveling, so it was a yeah, bonus. Man. It's as a result of the the athletic career, I've seen a little bit more of the globe. So it's like, well, if I have a chance to see a new country and I don't have to pay to do it, it's For a bonus. Sure. Absolutely. But I think you raise a good point in terms of looking at it from what they don't see behind the scenes. I think. Yeah. Well. Most people are probably delusioned in terms of the like the political thing within sport and say, "Oh, it doesn't exist." It's like, "Oh, that's that's not true." It's you're on one side of the fence. I was quite lucky as an athlete. I kind of stayed away from it to a certain extent and went under the radar. It's like, well, if I don't need to get involved, I won't. I just carry on to do what I want. Well, to do the training I have to do and get on with it, and you don't rustle any feathers. Yeah, a smart man. 
well, some might argue it's it's shying away from things, but it's like, well, and I've spoken to one athlete in particular, and he, he's very much biting heads with the organisation and they were changing the, the goalposts. It's like, well, that's one reason, that's another. And that's why you're having problems. It's very much, I think maybe at, at best, maybe be somewhere in between to to get the best of both worlds, but don't kind of go towards the the extreme and confronting it because it's in most cases with the high echelons of sport they were athletes once as like well they know where you, the kind of sacrifices you've got to go through it's like well there's no point pissing them off so to speak if you don't have to because they are probably have that alpha male mindset it's like well Oh, you're annoying me. I'm going to make it as hard. Look, give you another hurdle to overcome. And it's it's a difficult one in terms of, in terms of that from a sports perspective. And to come back to kind of the point that you were saying 34% of the people think that they can aspire to it. It's like, well, it's unrealistic because it's maybe you're overshooting it from uh it's well we touched upon it a good one is with me as the example very much luck comes to play being in the right place at the time those are very much uh, components that are out my out of my hand you have no control over okay it's i think it's maybe making better from a mindset perspective uh athletic perspective is controlling the controllables as you probably agreed with and kind of just using those tools that you can't control. And if you, you manage to get to the heights that you do, it's, it's going to be because of somebody else as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No one gets there alone, man. Well, it's having that support network around you. It's, I think with, it's very much to the forefront. I think recently within our media, with people struggling with mental toughness, you're thinking you're at elite level psychologists are very much accessible and it was what were they talking about I think it was about mental fortitude thinking well I had that problem the first people I spoke with was my family so it's like well you'd have thought you'd have that communi- not have that communication barrier with your family to start with if you do have something wrong because they'd be the first port to call before you got to that level mm-hmm. yeah but that, but I think, well, that's probably generalizing to say that's what I would do. You can't say st- and stereotypical stereotype it to somebody. And maybe they they're not as close. But it's like, well, that's what that support network is there for. I think we were talking about not being able to deal with the the, the what was it the, the difficulties with with uh, what obviously the elite sport brings. You're thinking. There's not that many, but if you, it's. I think it comes maybe back to that stigma with, um, be it depression, you know, like the mental health side of things. You're thinking, well, I think sport is probably at the forefront with that, to, in my opinion, to being able to deal with things because it's like, well, we we constitute it as the like the the difference between winning and losing, so we do probably put onus more on it like the mind the mental side of sport than probably the general public do so you would have thought well if this is a negative side of it 
let's try and solve it because you don't want more and more problems mounting out on themselves. But mm. it's a difficult one. So my last question for you, Rob, before we wrap up the show. Okay. I'd like to conclude the show with this question. If you had to summarize this entire episode into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? Uh, our episode? Yep. Here? So kind of a stream of consciousness sort of thought. Um, hmm. I would say... Um, Good question. Uh, I mean, definitely thought-provoking. I would say thought-provoking because they had me thinking a lot during even the answers that I was given. So, yeah, thought-provoking. That's good to hear. So, uh, Rob, once again, thanks for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it, man. It's my pleasure. Okay, buddy. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast.